We are going to end now with living out the truth in a post-truth world, anti-truth world, by remembering to suffer for the truth. And so I pray that this lesson will be an encouragement to you and uh, help, especially in light of our last session on speaking the truth in love, uh, because as you do that, you may incur persecution and suffering more than likely uh, you probably will. So um, anyway, we want to leave with some hope and help. Uh, several years ago, I was having a group of ladies over in my home for lunch, and one of the ladies was a new believer. And um, I asked her, I said, what's been uh, the most surprising thing that you have discovered since becoming a Christian? And her answer was interesting. She said, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And the rest of the ladies around the table, we readily agreed with her. Being a Christian is hard. Jesus said, hard is the way, right? And few there be that find it. Um, and so when you think about it, what are some of the things that are difficult about being a believer? When that lady said it's hard. Some of the things that come to my mind are, that are difficult about being a Christian are warring with our old man. You know, the good that I want to do. I end up not doing, and the evil that I loathe, I end up doing. I'm, I'm warring with myself, warring with the enemy, warring with the devil. Another difficult thing about being a Christian is being bold uh, in proclaiming the gospel, disciplining ourselves to godliness, as we've already talked about uh, last night, and confronting others that we just talked about. These are just some of the things that are difficult when we think about being a Christ follower. However, there is one very tough aspect of being a believer, and that is hatred and persecution that we receive from family, from friends, the world, and hate to tell you, but even in the church, even in the church. In fact, when you were uh, given the gospel of Jesus Christ, were you told that you were going to receive hatred and persecution? I wasn't. I was like, hey, you know, God, Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. He's going to come again and you need to repent and believe on the name of Christ. And that's what I was told. But what if the person had said, hey, and by the way, Susan, you're going to be hated. I mean, people want to kill you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be called names. <laughs> Imagine if we were told the full gospel when we were shared, uh, when the gospel was shared with us. Some of us in this room might have rejected it. You might, I already have enough problems. I don't need more. But ladies, we forget that Jesus tells us we're to consider the cost of being his disciple. And so we must remember to suffer for the truth is part of living in an anti-truth world. And so hatred and persecution are part of the gospel. And so as we come to our final session, if you would turn to John 15. And I am so thankful for Christ who was very open and transparent with his disciples and with us, that there is going to be persecution for all who follow him will suffer persecution. And he doesn't leave us in the dark regarding what it costs to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's um, read the text. And before we do, just a reminder, I think what's really cool that right before that, if you know anything about the Upper Room Discourse, which is one of the books that hopefully will come out soon, uh, it's ready. But uh, like I said, I work faster than the publisher. But John 13 to 17 is one of my favorite portions of God's Word. It's so encouraging, so comforting. 
Christ with the disciples before he goes to the cross, and they're there in the upper room, but he's given them so many promises, so much comfort, and he's just told them in the previous verses that they are his friends. If they do whatever he commands them, he says, I no longer call you a servant, but I call you a friend. And so in the even in the physical world, when we think about being someone's friend, it has some wonderful benefits and wonderful qualities, but also part of being a friend is being there when the things are tough and hard, right? And uh, so Jesus kind of makes it clear, yeah, there's going to be all these wonderful blessings, but there's going to be some difficult times if you want to be my friend. And uh, I love that proverb that says a friend loves at all times, whether it's the good times or the bad times. And ladies, the same holds true for our relationship with Jesus Christ. There are great times. There are blessings uh, beyond beyond that we can even imagine. But there's also difficult times. So let's listen in as Jesus explains this hard truth to his disciples. John 15, 17. These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they do for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Now, before Christ gives the five reasons to the disciples as to why they will receive persecution, those five things we must remember He gives them a command to love one another. I think this is very important. That's why I didn't want to leave this out of this session. Ladies, we are commanded to love each other. And Christian love, think very carefully here in the context, Christian love is in contrast to the hatred we're going to receive from the world. But also, and I want to encourage you with this, because I do believe that we are going to receive a lot of hatred and persecution. If things don't change in this world, we're going to receive it. And so... We are in contrast to the world, but also, ladies, we need to band together more. We need to be together more and more as we see the day approaching. We need to love one another more. And so the disciples are going to need to be together. Persecution is around the corner. All of them died for their faith. And so they know it's going to come. Jesus is faithful to warn them. And I'm trying to be faithful to warn you this morning. I'm not a prophetess or the daughter of a prophet. (laughs) But if you can read the signs and the times, we're going to be persecuted and we're going to be hated. And so we need to band together and we need to love one another more and more and be together more and more. And so he says, this is my commandment, that you love each other. But then he goes on to say, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. The words, if the world hates you, is in the first class condition in the Greek, which means, as it certainly does, (laughs) The world certainly does hate you. Now, what does the world include? Well, he's not just talking about the earth we live in, but the definition for world in this context would be the mass of unbelievers who are indifferent or hostile to God and his people. This would be the evil system that we're surrounded by, that is controlled by Satan. He is the prince of this world. In fact, Jesus will soon tell him, the prince of the world is coming. The prince of peace is leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to the cross. But the prince of the world is coming. And so when he says the world hates you, it means they detest you. They detest you, especially they want to persecute you. And in the Greek, it has the idea of a fixed hatred. They never stop hating you. Ladies, the world hates us. 
They hate us. In fact, even now, uh, many Christians are being marked. We are hated. And Jesus warns, if the world hates us, don't forget, they hated him too. (laughs) They hated the disciples. They hate us. And you know why they hate us? Because we do not conform to their patterns. We don't have their goals. We don't have their ambitions. We don't have their desires. We are an affront to their sin. They hate the light. They hate it. Men love darkness, right? Rather than light. And this would not be a new concept to the disciples. They'd been with Jesus for three years. They'd seen it. He came into his own. His own did not receive him. How many times it said they took up stones to stone him, but he got out of their way. It wasn't the time yet. His hour had not yet come. And yet they'd seen this. They'd seen the hatred even from his own people. They wanted to kill him. And eventually they did. They crucified him. So as Jesus speaks these words, the disciples, they're lacking understanding. They don't know what, they don't understand. Remember, they were in, even though he was really careful about warning them about what was to happen, they didn't understand what was getting ready to happen. They didn't understand that the crucifixion was near at hand. And ladies, little do we know either what is awaiting us. We have no ideas. I mentioned 90,000 Christians were killed last year for their faith. 90,000. In fact, John, who is sitting next to Jesus in the upper room, remember he was the one leaning on Jesus' breast there in the upper room? He picks up his pen right before he dies. He's about 100 when he writes First John, and he says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised at this. Don't be shocked at this. The world hates you. Peter, he's also there. Remember Peter in the upper room? He's the one asking all the questions. And when Jesus tries to wash his feet, he says, Lord, don't, don't wash my feet. Wash my whole body, you know. When Jesus says, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you can't be a part. Okay, then wash, give me a bath, Jesus. And so Peter is also there. And he picks up his pen later on. And he says, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. Happy are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you like the Shekinah glory. Ladies, the good news is this does not necessarily mean all of us will be hated, but most of us in this room will. As wise Solomon once said, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with them. So there is times that we aren't going to be hated and people are going to be at peace with us. But for the most part, you're going to be hated. Isn't that the good news this morning? You're like, why did you end on this one? In fact, I remember this was, this was shocking. just happened recently. I was talking to a lady in my church. And she was telling me about a friend of hers that was coming out of the grocery store. I think it was a Walmart. And there was a petition there. They wanted her to sign a petition uh, to, it was not Oklahoma, but it was some state, to actually do away with Bibles and Christian counselors in their state. And the woman said, no, I can't sign that. And she began to share with them that she was a Christian. And uh, the lady was telling me, who was relating this story to me, she said her friend actually was physically pushed by those at the table that were trying to get people to sign the petition and push the groceries out of her arm and begin to cuss at her. <laughs> she was hated for standing up for what is right. Now Jesus is going to give them five reasons in the next few verses as to why the world hates them. And ladies, I think that we should think about this, especially as we enter in into the era that we live in. Number one, notice what he says. The world hated me first. Ladies, this is the first first truth you need to remember. Jesus says, take heart, dear men. The world will hate you, but there's a reason they hate you. And the number one reason is 
They hated me first. In fact, the Greek word for before is literally first. They hated me first. And ladies, Jesus is comforting his disciples with the fact that he was hated first. He's been touched with the feelings of their infirmities. And so ladies, if you're hated this morning because you're a Christian, if you're being persecuted this morning because you are a Christian, remember Jesus was hated too. Go to him. Go to your great high priest. Fall on your knees. Cry out to him. That should be a comfort as you face the difficulties of being hated. Ladies, meditate on the fact your Lord was hated also. He can understand your hurt. He can understand it. The disciples did not realize yet the measure of the world's hatred towards Jesus, but they will tomorrow. Tomorrow as he hangs on Golgotha's tree, they'll understand as they will begin to suffer persecution for the gospel. In fact, the hate here is also in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means this hatred endures. It just keeps on going. (laughs) So, ladies, it's not going to let up. It's going to keep up. You need to prepare your children. I hope you're preparing. Those of you that are mothers, those of you that are grandmothers, you need to prepare your children for this. I tell my children, I have seven grandchildren. They're all teenagers except one who's 11, but the rest of them are all teenagers now. I said, man, I, I fear for them, the, the generation, that generation, what they're going to be facing, uh, what they're being taught in school. It's, it's frightening. And so if they stand for truth, They are going to be hated. It's ongoing hatred. And you know, the world still hates Jesus today. You ever tried to mention his name out in public? (laughs) They hate his name. They even hate the name of Jesus. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 19 to give a second truth we must remember. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So ladies, the second truth you need to remember is this. You are not of the world. Believers are not of the world. If you find the world loving you, you need to examine yourself. You really do. If you were of the world, the world would love you. The world would have an affection for you. In fact, the if here implies the disciples were not of the world. He says if you were of the world, you're not of the world. But if you were then they would love you. And if you find the world loving you, then you have a bigger problem. I really do. In fact, John writes about this later in his epistle, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the pride of life, is what? It's not of the Father. It's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. Ladies, we should not love the world. In fact, Jesus will mention in John 17, the the last prayer he prays before he goes to the cross with his disciples, he says to the Father, Father, they're not of the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. John 17, 16. Now, when Jesus says here in verse 19 that the world would love its own, he uses a word for love here that is not agape. Agape love, we've talked about. That's God's love, which only God's people can reproduce. But he uses a Greek word here, phileo, not phileo, but phileo, which is a word to, which means to love someone because you have common interest or because you're friend. They're your friend. That's the only kind of love the world has to offer, right? Phileo love. You have common interest or you have a friendship. It doesn't compare to God's love. Agape, which indicates a direction of your will and finding your joy in someone or something. God's love is a love that would die for somebody. And so Jesus says, if you were of the world, 
The world will what? Love its own. They phileo their own. But he says, you are not of the world. In fact, the word its own in the previous phrase means literally its own thing. <laughs> the world certainly has a tone and character that's different from those who belong to Christ, right? They're doing their own thing. <laughs> they love their own. Ladies, Jesus warns them tenderly about this hatred they receive. And later on, uh, he will express concern for him in his prayer in John 17, if you want to turn over uh, to this beautiful prayer. But in John 17, 14, when he prays to the Father, he says this, I've given them your word and the world's hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Ladies, Jesus knew that Satan and his evil world would hate the disciples just as they hated him. And so he prays for them. Oh, God, they're going to stay in the world, but keep them from the evil one. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he prayed that for me. And I hope you pray that for yourself. Lord, keep me from evil. Keep me from the evil one. Did you know that's part of the disciples prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is this in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. And we forgive those who trespass against us. And what? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? The evil, the evil one. Ladies, you should be praying that for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your husband. Keep them from the evil. We are in this world. We are in this world. We have to live in this world. But we need to pray, keep us from evil. Well, by now the disciples might be saying, hmm, maybe this Christianity isn't everything I signed up for. Maybe it's not such a good deal after all. And so Christ lovingly says to them in verse 20, remember, remember this. Remember this word I said to you. In fact, the Greek is do remember. Do remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Now, when did he say this? He says, remember what I said to you. When did he say this? Well, turn back to John 13, 16. Because he's already said this once in the upper room. But remember, they're kind of not getting it yet. It was right after he washed the disciples' feet in John 13, 16. He says, Surely I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent them. What's he saying? Well, after he just washed his feet, their feet, he says, you're no better than I am. <laughs> the servant is not greater than his Lord. What was he telling them back then? You follow me. Follow my example. You deny yourself. You serve. Doesn't mean you wash 24 dirty feet necessarily, but they might. <laughs> you do the act of a servant. You're not greater than me when it comes to service and humility. And you are not greater than me, he says here in John 16, when it comes to persecution and hatred. If they persecuted me, your master... They're going to persecute you. You don't think that if your master is persecuted that you're going to get away without persecution, do you? Jesus says, if the Lord's persecuted, the servant will be persecuted. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, when he's given his disciples their orders before he sends them out uh, to the world, you know what he says? Guess what? And you're going to be hated by all men for my name's sake. How would you like those marching orders when you take a job? By the way, this job at Walmart, you're going to be hated by everybody, so have a great time while you are the greeter at Walmart. <laughs> you know, that's basically what he's saying. Here's your marching orders, and you're going to be hated while you're at it. But what did he say? If you endure to the end, you'll be saved. 
you endure to the end. In fact, he says when they persecute you in one city, go to another city. Just keep on going. Evidently, Peter didn't get it. He did not get it. Even then in the upper room, because we have the account in Matthew 16. Remember when Jesus was telling him everything that was going to happen and he said, oh, be it far from you, Lord. This isn't going to happen to you. Remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind thee, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't savor the things of God. And so Peter even didn't get it yet. And then he goes on to say, after he rebukes Peter, he said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If you want to lose it, you'll save it. What profit is it for a man to gain the world and lose his soul? No profit in that. Jesus has fully warned them. And ladies, he's fully warned us. about what is to come and what probably has already come for many of you in this room. In fact, I know some of you in this room, uh, some of the couple of ladies in here, I disciple that come from other states, and I know they have received persecution uh, for standing up for what is right. Debbie, who travels with me, she lost her, her family, her girls, and everything because of standing up for living for Christ. So many of you have suffered that. Many of you have suffered hatred and persecution because of your stand for Christ. Now, maybe some of you think you should be treated differently than Christ and the disciples. Maybe you think that persecution stuff is for the early church, but not for American Christians. But ladies, if you want to identify with him, then part of that identification is suffering. If you deny him, he will deny you. (laughs) But the good news, if you suffer with him, you reign with him. Isn't that great? In fact, Peter does get it eventually, even though he didn't get it back then, but he does get it. I love that. You know, he grew in his relationship with Christ. And he even says this, you're called to suffer. You are called to suffer, just like Christ suffered, who left an example for us. Peter did not understand the joy of persecution in his early years as a Christian, but later on in life he did. In fact, Peter was uh, crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy uh, to be crucified as his Lord was. And Jesus had even told him, Peter, when you're young, uh, someone's going to address you and carry you where you don't want to go. He says this in John 21. But Peter, as you get older, someone's going to address you and carry you where you don't want to (laughs) go. And this he signified by what death he was going to die. And so uh, Peter, church history tells us Peter was crucified upside down. And before he died, his wife was crucified. And according to church history, he stood at the foot of her cross and said, remember the Lord, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. And so he knew, he knew that part of his sanctification would be suffering. And I know the older I get in the Lord and the older I get physically, uh, I almost expect it. And it doesn't bother me anymore. It used to when I was younger, I was like, oh, this is really hard. Um, But it's not. As I get older, I expect it because Christ says we should expect it. So ladies, the third truth you must remember is that we are hated because we are not greater than our Lord. Believers are not greater than our Lord. If they persecuted him, they will persecute you. Now, before we go on, let's define persecution. It's a very interesting word. It means to chase like a wild beast, (laughs) to harass, to treat in an evil manner. So Jesus tells them you're going to be persecuted. But you know, interestingly enough, they did not receive persecution while Jesus was with them. You look at the scripture, very little in scripture indicates the disciples were subject to persecution while Jesus was with them. But eventually they all were. 
You want to hear how they died? Peter was crucified at Rome, as I mentioned. Matthew was slain in Ethiopia. Mark died by being dragged through the streets of Alexandria. Luke hung on an olive tree in Greece. James was beaten to death by clubs and died. Bartholomew was flayed alive. How would you like that? Is that a good way to go? Andrew was was bored, was excuse me, nailed to a cross and preached until he died. Jude was shot to death with arrows. That's a fun way to die. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death. Thomas was martyred in India. And John, who wrote this book of the Bible, was put in boiling oil and branded on the Isle of Patmos. Does that sound like fun? So they all were eventually persecuted and martyred for their faith. But it happened after Christ went into glory and ascended into heaven. Ladies, the the world will persecute you and I if we're following Christ because they hate the standard that we represent. Sinful people will not tolerate a righteous standard. And I know, um, you know, when my husband was alive, we we experienced it a lot. Uh, Hatred, persecution, and often, I hate to say it, but it came from people within our church. Um, who eventually proved to be unbelievers because we love them enough to warn them of the danger they're in. Ladies, a righteous standard is convicting and people don't like the restraint you represent. Um, And we need to remind ourselves, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, the form of persecution that you and I go through may not be like the early Christians, at least not yet. As I mentioned, the disciples, how they were persecuted. Uh, the, the readers in First Peter, many of them were being uh, torn apart from limb to limb by wild animals. They were being uh, wild animal skins. They would sew them around the bodies of the believers while they were alive, and then they would have other animals come in the rain or the arena of Nero's gardens and his arena there, and have them rip them from part from limb to limb. Many of them were being rolled up in in tar and pitch and being set to fire to light Nero's gardens at night. I mean, this is some of what the early Christians went through. Many tortured for the faith. We may not have to go through that. We may. I I have no idea. Only God knows, right? But ladies, the world hates us, and they will persecute us. Now, maybe for you, it won't be that extreme. Maybe for you, even now, some of you are being ridiculed by your family because uh, you won't join in a sinful activity with them. Uh, That persecution can often come in form of verbal persecution. Uh, You might receive persecution for standing up for truth and not compromising. I remember when same-sex marriage was um, instigated in our nation, I was having lunch with what, what I thought were five of my Christian girlfriends, and uh, I stood up for what was right. I, uh, this lady said, well, you know, they're just born that way. And I said, no, we're, we're actually we're all born to pray. But I went into the biblical, uh, what the Bible said about it. And eventually uh, she snarled her teeth at me and got up and left. And somebody else did too. And I was like, okay, well, I just lost two of my friends, I think. And uh, actually she hasn't talked to me since then. So you might receive persecution for just standing up for what is right. Uh, You might have lost good friends or strained family ties because of your faith and commitment to Christ. And maybe you're like me. I've received persecution from within the church, (laughs) from so-called believers who prefer a loose standard of living. Some Christians, unfortunately, think the more Christ-like they become, that they will overcome the enmity of unbelievers. But ladies, the fact of the matter is this. 
the more you become like Jesus, the more you're going to be antagonized and shunned and hated and persecuted. So just expect it. Now, you might say, well, this is really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, I want to stop here. You know what our attitude should be when we're persecuted? Remember what Jesus says? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then he says, rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Ladies, our response is to rejoice. I remember when this first happened, uh, to where I saw it actually lived out, my husband was asked to come speak. We were, hadn't been married that long. He was asked to come to speak at the church that he was, he was, someone led him to Christ when he was 16. And so after he had some uh, seminary in college, he came back to Oklahoma City and the pastor there, huge church, asked him to speak on Mother's Day. So he, of course, my husband decided to speak on Titus too. And the church I had thousands of people in it. And I thought he did a great job. I was so proud of him. And, and anyway, when it was over, we were called down to the front of the auditorium to shake hands with all the people. And guess what? They almost all left. There's only a few left. Nobody really came up to shake hands with us. But this one woman, I can still see her. She comes down the aisle and she goes, oh, I hate you. And I hate that message. And I'm like, whoa. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I was young and stupid and unredeemed on top of that. But anyway, um, we got in the car and I was just shaking. And I said, Doug, I said, that was horrible. And he goes, what are you talking about? That's great. That's great. We just got to suffer for Jesus. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I was like, you're rejoicing. And uh, then after I got saved and realized what scripture said, we're to rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is our reward in heaven. And so ladies, that should be our attitude. I know it's not always easy, but we should have the attitude of rejoicing and maybe you're thinking, wow, if all I ever get for standing up for Jesus is persecution, maybe it's not a good deal. Well, Jesus goes on to say that not all will hate us, not all will persecute us. Notice what he says. There's some encouragement here. If they've kept my word, they will keep yours also. Ladies, there will be some that will receive the gospel message. There will be some that will come to Christ through our example. That's the great hope. There's always hope. If they have kept my words, they will keep yours also, which would be an indication his words should be what? Our words. Again, why we need to know the truth. Because as we speak his, speak words, they should be his words. Ladies, his words are represented by us as his representative. Some will believe these words. Not all will reject the message. Praise God for that. <laughs> Some will receive them. Well, we end with verse 21 and the final two truths that we need to remember. Verse 21. All these things will they do for you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. What things is Jesus talking about and who's going to do them? The world will hate them. The world will persecute them. They will not have any affection for them. All these things they will do to them. Why? What does he say? For his name's sake, on account of Christ. What does this mean? Very simply, ladies, loyalty to the name of Christ will bring hatred and persecution. And the disciples soon discovered this was true in their lives. So the fourth truth you need to remember is this. You will be hated because of the name of Christ. You will be hated because of the name of Christ. It's interesting in the upper room already, Christ has 
told them to believe in his name, to pray in his name, and now he tells them they're going to suffer because of my name. You're going to suffer because of my name. And ladies, as I mentioned in the last lesson, suffering's a gift. It's a gift. It's been given to you on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but to suffer. And when we read the book of Acts, we see many of the disciples received the gift of suffering. <laughs> they were beaten. Remember in Acts 5.29, they were beaten uh, because they wouldn't stop sharing the gospel. And it says they went away rejoicing. They went away rejoicing, counting it worthy to suffer for his name. And so we come to our final truth. We need to remember why Christians are hated by the world. This is the main reason, ladies, that we are not loved by the world. Notice what Jesus says. Because they do not know him who sent me. Ladies, the fifth truth you must remember is this. The world doesn't know Christ. They don't know him. That's why they hate you. That's why they persecute you. They don't have a personal relationship with him. They are in ignorance. They are in blindness. They do not know that God sent his son into the world for their sins. The world did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was crazy. They thought he had a demon. So in ignorance, the world hated, persecuted Jesus. And in ignorance, they will hate and persecute the disciples. And in ignorance, they will persecute and hate you and I. Ladies, the world is ignorant of who God is, and that, my friend, is the main reason for hatred and suffering and persecution. They don't have a clue about what you're about. My family thinks I'm crazy. In fact, my sister, who's just been diagnosed with cancer, she said, my husband thinks you're crazy. And I said, well, honey, I'm a fool for Jesus. But they don't have a clue about who you are. Why? Because they don't know Christ. <laughs> They're blind. They're in ignorance. They're reprobate. They can't see so in thinking about our final lesson, ladies, you really should be encouraged, not discouraged. You really should be encouraged. Number one, you should take courage with the fact that the world hated Christ first. If the world hates you, it hated him, it hated him first. In fact, later on in verse 25, he even says they hate him without a cause. They don't have any reason for hating him, and they don't have any reason for hating you either. And sometimes that's how it is. And so as you go through times of persecution, remember, Christ went through it first. He's been touched with the feelings of your infirmities. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you find help in your time of need. It's a wonderful time for you to draw near to Christ. You know, Paul says, I want to fill up that which is lacking in my sufferings. He wanted to pursue a course of suffering so he could identify more with his Lord. And so maybe for us, that's what we need to do. We can identify with Christ. Number two, Remember, you're not of the world. Remember, you're not of the world. That encourages me. I don't want to be identified. You guys want to be identified with this evil system we live in? I don't want to be. Be grateful, your salt, your light in the midst of despair and darkness. Be encouraged by this. Number three, you're not greater than the Lord. Nobody in here is greater than the Lord. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute you. You're not greater than your master. What a joy to identify with Christ and his sufferings. Remember what Paul said? I want to know him. The fellowship of his sufferings that I might be made conformable to his death. He wanted to know him by pursuing a path of suffering. Fourthly, be encouraged because we suffer because of the name of Christ. Ladies, if you're suffering this morning... I have some good news for you. That means you're his child. 
Suffering identifies you with Christ. It's a sign that you're a Christian. Ladies, you've been chosen. You've been selected among many to live with him eternally, and because of that, you will suffer. And finally, the overriding reason, the truth number five that we should remember is this. We're going to be hated and persecuted because the world does not know Christ. The world doesn't know Christ. Do you have a heart of compassion for the world that is without Christ? Instead of wishing evil upon them for the evil they do to you, see them as lost and dying without Christ. See them in a Christless eternity. Pray for their souls. Pray they will know the name and embrace him as Lord. Now, maybe for some of you, this thinks, this seems very foreign, all this stuff. You might say, I haven't been hated. I've not been persecuted. I would challenge you to ask yourself, why? Why haven't you been persecuted? Why haven't you suffered? All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. It's a promise. And with that in mind, I want to leave you with a challenge from Amy Carmichael. She's another one of my women I like to follow. She endured a lot of suffering. A lot of persecution. She was in India for 53 years without a furlough. 53 years as a missionary alone without a furlough. And many of you know what she started, the Donovan Fellowship, which, which was a refuge for children who were in moral danger. And in fact, I remember her mother took her shopping before she went overseas to India and she wanted to buy Amy a dress because she only had one. And she went into the dress shop and and uh, Amy's mom said, what about these? And she goes, no, I have one. That's enough. <laughs> That's enough. So she went to India with one dress. I don't know what happened then, but some of the things that she had to fill out before she could go overseas were questions like this. Do you truly desire to live a crucified life? How would you like that for a job interview? Does the thought of hardness draw you or repel you? And she stayed there for 53 years. And here's the challenge from this precious saint of God that I would like to leave you with as we close. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer spent. I leaned me against a tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me. I swooned. Have you no wound? No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound nor scar? So, dear one, I want to leave you with a challenge. Live out God's truth in an anti-truth world by being dedicated to the truth, disciplined in the truth, hold fast to the truth, by suffering for the truth, and by speaking the truth in love. Will you remember to do that? I pray you'll take these notes home and remember and obey. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would give us the grace we need now to take what we have heard. And, Father, that we would be able to, by the dear help of your Spirit, with His power and Your help, Lord, be able to make those changes in our life that we need to make to be conformed to Your world, to Your Word, and to live out truth in this anti-truth world. So, Father, give us wisdom as we walk. Give us grace. Give us humility. And give us love for one another. 
and even for this lost and dying world we live in. And I pray these things for Christ's sake and for his glory alone. Amen.